So FEMA has um, basically like an umbrella of letter of map changes you can do. So under that umbrella, they've got the LOMERS and the conditional letter of map revisions. And then they have LOMAs, which are map amendments. And e you know, each one of those category of map changes has specific criteria and applications. Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast. Podcast, the show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Placemaking Podcast. I am excited to share this next conversation with all of you. This week I have on the show Elizabeth Fontaine, PE, on the show. Elizabeth is Principal and Vice President at J.R. Evans Engineering in Estero, Florida. As Director of the Floodplain Management Department at J.R. Evans, Ms. Fontaine specializes in services related to flood zone mapping and analysis, flood protection analysis, and flood proofing services. Her insight into managing successful projects comes from a deep understanding in the value of hard work as well as an enjoyment in discovering solutions to multifaceted problems. The engineering firm she works with, J.R. Evans Engineering, provides professional services and not only land development design and entitlement, but floodplain management, flood zone modification, and hydrologic restoration projects within Florida. The firm's principles combine experience and expertise in the practice of professional engineering to provide their clients with superior technical service. In this episode, we're going to dive into the often misunderstood terminology used in FEMA flood map. We'll discuss common misconceptions when it comes to flood hazard zones and reclamation. And we will also discuss the various means and methods for floodplain reclamation on your next project. So as always, if you have enjoyed the show, please subscribe to this show and share with your friends. I promise there will be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you, Matt. Hey, glad to have you on the show. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> what? <laughs> In virtual form. Yeah. We have to I, say that all too much. I these know. Days. Yeah. Well, I gave you an introduction before the show and before I got you on here, but if you could, in your own words, just give us a little bit about your background and, you know, kind of how you got into to the role you're in and, and we'll go from there. All right. Um, so originally from the Chattanooga area in Tennessee, went to school at University of Tennessee up there and uh, got an engineering degree in civil engineering and was lucky enough to get a job down in uh, Southwest Florida for a, a, a big civil engineering firm known as Wilson Miller. Um, they're now known as Stantec, which you may be familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was a great company to be a part of to learn and really develop your skill sets with civil engineering and infrastructure design and project management and all the permitting that goes involved with all these projects. So built built a career in that firm, was there for about eight years. Mm -hmm. And 
And at that time, I also started a family. So I had a son and then picked up the career back up after just a little bit of time off and started working at another firm called Grady Meyer for a few years. And then Josh Evans, who is president of J.R. Evans Engineering, he started his own company in 2010. And we had worked together at Wilson Miller. We were a team at that place for all those years. And he decided to go out on his own. And I joined him after he got pretty well established for about the first six months. Really, at that point, we started focusing on water resource projects and floodplain management related projects. At that time, Colorado County was going through a whole new flood zone remapping with FEMA, and we got involved to provide some support services with that effort and to assist a lot of the, the larger landowners in the county just to make sure things were being done accurately and that their flood hazards were being properly represented on the new maps mm-hmm. based on data and if there have been changes since the last map, mapping effort had occurred. So from there on, we, uh, Josh and I developed, further developed the company, started adding people to the team. Um, we grew pretty fast. So we, we grew from just a few of us in 2010, 2011, all the way up to uh, 22 people at this time. And, you know, we really, we have a great group of people working for us and we've been very successful. And I, I do want to say at the time when we started the company, when he started the company in 2010, it was, it was we were coming off of a downturn in the economy. So it was a really mm-hmm. odd, odd time to want to start a company. And it worked. So um, that's where we are today. We've, J.R. Evans is a, a civil engineering firm. We have a pretty much two departments. Uh, one department does traditional land development, in engineering, infrastructure design, and permitting, all the way through observing all the construction and, and getting the certifications at the end. And uh, the department that I am in charge of really focuses on what are resource type projects anything from flowway restoration to doing floodplain management and flood zone revisions for either the uh, communities themselves or private landowners. So we get, we get to do a whole range of tasks and get projects um, from all sides. Yeah. So let's get back to kind of where you started out. Did you always want to get into civil engineering or is that just something that uh, kind of fell in your lap and you, you were interested and kind of pursued that? Yeah, I was, I, I was always very, very good at numbers and math and all types of math, geometry, trig, algebra. And I, I like to do a lot of problem solving. And I think that's mainly a good, a good portion of an engineer's job is problem solving um, and figuring out how to, how to make things work and how to make solutions feasible. So I think I always had a, a hunch that I wanted to do some level of engineering. When I started college, I wasn't sure, you know, whether to be, whether I wanted to do civil, environmental, or I even looked at aeronautical. At that time, my dream job was to, to work for NASA one day because I, I, I was just enamored with, with the space industry at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I ended up going for civil. I thought that was probably the best um, opportunity to really work on projects that benefited the community. Um, during the last two years of 
uh, college, I worked for the city of Chattanooga and I was in their public works department and worked on several streetscape plan uh, projects with the city staff and actually did the construction plans for those jobs and got to see how it all comes together and understand all the network of utilities and infrastructure that you have under, under the street that a lot of people don't even know about. Right. That be, um, eye-opening for me to see that. Most, uh, most engineers kind of say the same thing uh, are along those lines. Was anybody in your family engineering or an engineer? No, my mom, yeah, no, my mom, my mom was the, uh, she was the senior accountant for the city. My dad wasn't an engineer, but he did work in the, in the steel industry. So no, no real background family as engineering careers that just, it just seemed to fit. And you, uh, did you always do this kind of hydraulics and hydrology, this, floodplain mapping is that something that you always have done your whole career or is it just something since starting at J.R. Evans that you you started working on heavily yeah so it really wasn't exposed to that until I got to, to Florida and, and worked with Wilson Miller and we we mainly did um, my biggest exposure was to subdivision projects Towards the later part of my working uh, experience at Wilson Miller, I did work on some pretty big slough restoration projects. So that was, I would say that was where I was introduced to doing those hydrologic analysis more so. And, and then definitely starting with J.R. Evans Engineering, that was, that was a main focus and really trying to promote that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really wanted to build a reputation to be the, the go-to firm for those types of projects in the area. Okay. Let's kind of transition a little bit into the various FEMA designations. There's quite a few and they can be very confusing if you're not uh, familiar with them, you know? And so Mm -hmm. let's, let's just kind of start off with some, some softball ones here, you know, and (laughs) um, some of the more common ones that people would normally see, uh, when looking at a a, a firm panel or, or uh, some okay. sort of FEMA map, so if you want to just start off with like a, a, we'll start off basic with like a floodway, and then kind of work our way out a little bit. How about that? Okay, sure. So if you're looking at a a firm, which is short for flood insurance rate map, especially in the areas that you have a creek or a river or stream. A lot of times there will be a floodway that's associated with that particular creek or stream or river. The floodway represents a, a portion of the floodplain that is restrictive to any type of development or encroachment unless it is, is proven through an engineering analysis or study that that, that proposed encroachment is not going to ad- adversely impact the floodwaters for that floodplain. So basically, floodway is supposed to define the limits of encroachment and where the water elevation shouldn't rise more than a foot. FEMA has a, a, one, a one foot threshold on the change in the water surface elevation from the natural floodplain to the, to if you were to encroach with the floodway. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the term that 
is often used to determine if the encroachments are going to provide any adverse impacts. It's called a no-rise or a no-impact certification. Um, and we, our team does handles a lot of those. And it could be anything from somebody wanting to do a install a chain link fence in their property and there's a floodway in the rear of their property they have to contend with. Or it can be all the way up to a new single family home. And those types of the new home projects require a more complicated analysis to, to make sure they're not going to cause any adverse impacts. So the, the floodway is a part of the floodplain. It's not separate. It's part of it. And typically the floodplain will be either a, what they call a zone AE or a zone AH. The zone AEs represent the floodplains that still have moving water with, you know, some some significant depth, potential depth of water during the 100-year hurricane or 1% chance storm. Your AH areas are more uh, related to shallow flow of water or shallow ponding of water, not necessarily any type of water with significant movement or velocity. There's There are different types of the zone A's. Uh, so I talked about the zone AE, there's the AH, there's also an AO. The O stands for um, overtopping. So if you have a structure that is located along a waterway or a shoreline, and as the water rises in that waterway, it overtops that structure, there could be a, a different type of zone designated for the, the area behind that structure called AO, and it usually has a depth associated with it. So that would be the expected depth of water as the overtopping occurs right. from that water course. Yeah. Another, as you move closer to the coast, you're going to get to a designation called VE. VE is, I like to simplify it for people and let, you know, I associate it with velocity, kind of makes sense, the V for velocity. But it's, it is the highest risk uh, zone category that FEMA has in place right now. And then it's for um, coastal areas where they've got potential for large wave action coming on shore, you know, waves that are exceeding three feet in height above the, the still water elevations, you know, the, the um, normal water elevation. So those are the highest risk zones to be mapped in. So what, uh, so floodplain, all those start out with A essentially. So mm -hmm. what, what designates a floodplain for those that aren't familiar like what what does that mean for someone that has floodplain on their side or or somewhere adjacent so it means that um it has been determined that that area due to its location its proximity to that water course whatever it might be the property's elevation it is, it is expected to be inundated by the water levels that may occur in that water course during what they call a 1% annual chance storm, which is commonly called like a hurricane. You know, not, not all hurricanes are results in 1% storm. Right. But it's a 1% it's a, it's a chance that that storm event could happen any year. Mm-hmm. So floodplain areas are areas subject to rising waters or if it's a coastal floodplain, it's, it's the waters coming from the Gulf or the Atlantic propagating landward 
as far inland as, as they go until they reach high enough ground to where that land would not be subject to flooding. So it's really related to a, a specific water course and, and what happens with that waterway when the storm event happens. Interesting. And is there any way for those that have this on their property or adjacent to to basically remove that risk? Is there, I know this is a lot of what you guys do, but uh, what, what does that process look like to remove a property from this uh, potential flooding issue? So there are different approaches. And the thing you have to be careful of is that there's certain there's certain requirement there's certain things limitations of what you can do in the floodplain without compensating for the impact. So in regards to some projects that we've worked on, not really individual homeowners, but more of a, a small subdivision that also has a, a creek running through it, and they have a flood wave and they have a floodplain. We've been able to assist them with helping out during their design process to analyze the project's improvements through, you know, with updating the floodplain model for that area and defining locations where they can compensate for filling in some of the floodway here or floodplain. They can, they actually expanded and provided more storage area for the waterway in a different location on their property. So they, they gave more storage and more capacity to that waterway to compensate for what they were doing um, in other portions of the project. And that is called that process. We went through FEMA and got approval for the changes. And that is a um, conditional or letter of map revision, CLOMER for short. And basically we submitted to FEMA our analysis and let them know that this is what the new floodplain boundaries are going to look like. Floodway boundaries are going to look like when this project's completed. We proved that there's, not going to be any adverse um, increases in the water elevations. And um, they provided their acceptance of that project. And that was, that gave the property owner the allowance to move forward with the local permitting and, and go through with the project. So another aspect is like in the, in the coastal areas in the V, when you're in a VE zone, you really can't not, you're not allowed to place fill in the VE zones because of how it would displace the, the high velocity of water. So you have to use, um, if you're wanting to reduce that risk to a structure, there's other methods you could do just from a risk standpoint. You can, you know, having a nice vegetative buffer, you know, with some, with some trees or rigid plants to help kind of uh, mitigate that wave energy as it comes on shore that's been successful. In some cases, some properties may already have a, a wall that's already in place to help support the developed side of their property. And if they're looking to further mitigate the risk, there's improvements that can be done to that existing structure to, to make sure that it's going to stay in place and provide protection for the property behind it. So there's, there's, it's really site-specific about mm-hmm. what you can do to mitigate flood risk. We've also helped properties that are developed, but the structures don't have the proper flood proofing that they need to protect the habitable sides of them inside. So we've assisted clients with flood proofing services and designs and, and getting those implemented. There's a lot of, a lot of ways, definitely. <laughs> there, yes. <laughs> to kind of go back to 
your conditional letter map provision. Sounds like a process. <laughs> is that correct? It, it is. <laughs> okay. What? Uh, how long can can people expect to uh, wait on FEMA to provide their approval for for something like that? Yeah. So um, the average time it takes to get through FEMA is, is about six months. It has <laughs> longer for some. Some of the others we have the quickest we've been able to get through is four months. That's pretty quick. Yeah. But that was for more of a simple project. Um, but the average is six, six to eight. Okay. So it just takes time to, to, you know, once we submit to FEMA, they they usually take about 30 to 45 days to do the initial review. And then the rest of the time is just answering any questions they have, working with them on the mapping and getting through the process. It's probably not the cheapest either. Uh, there's yeah. fees involved, right? <laughs> yeah, for the conditional letter of map revisions that involve proposed projects, those are the, FEMA has a review fee for those. There's our fees to do the work, and on top of that, FEMA has a processing fee. And with those, you do the the Clomer, and you get the the conditional letter of map revision accepted. And then once the project is built, you have to come back in with a an actual as-built MOMER, basically, to, to formalize everything and say, FEMA, here you go, Here's everything's been completed as uh, previously planned and designed, here's the proof. And um, that's when they officially revise the firm, the flood maps, to show those updates to the flood zones. So you have to go back and survey the property after you've completed all the improvements and show them that you've built to spec, essentially? Yes, exactly. Interesting. And if something is different, you have to basically update your original analysis to show that difference. But typically, everything is pretty in line with what we originally proposed. Mm -hmm. So more time. So more time. So then that's another, you know, two, it doesn't, it doesn't take as long. The as-built doesn't. It's um, really, it's just a, <clears throat> a confirmation. And uh, typically, FEMA will go through those pretty quick. So it's usually maybe a two-month process. So not, not as near as much as the initial effort. Gotcha. And that's only for a proposed project. The standard letter of map revisions just based on existing conditions it's just the one time mm-hmm. time par- uh, process. And that's just to show that an existing structure is already outside the floodway or floodplain. Yep. So FEMA has um, basically like an umbrella of letter of map changes you can do. So under that umbrella, they've got the LOMERS and the conditional letter of map revisions. And then they have LOMAs, which are map amendments. And e- you know, each one of those category of map changes has specific criteria and applications. Mm-hmm. So this is a very uh, technical <laughs> technical process to go through. So what's a common misconception for people that aren't familiar with the processes and the flood hazard zones and what, I guess what what is that common misconception and, and how would you address that? Some people think that, well, there is a, there is a 
misconception that um, you know people think that the flood maps are that's it you're you're stuck with them you can't change them there's no way you can change them and or or update them you know based on new information or better information so that was a hurdle to come over to get over because people would not they thought it wasn't even a possibility and then there's a, a misconception sometimes that people think you tell them you can reduce their risk in a flood zone and they they might they think well you're trying to say they're not ever going to get flooded or you know and uh, that's not the case we always explain to them that there's always a risk that you have to be aware of and we don't ever say that just because you know you make it revised on the map that doesn't mean you're not going to ever have have the possibility to experience flooding mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a lot of a lot of what our team does is education. Typically, I have this the same conversation like I have with you, you know, with you right now about what the flood zones mean and how we do, you know, how we do what we do and and what's the process. And it's it's usually about it. It's a it's, it's an education ceremony for a lot of clients. Yeah, I would imagine it's it's not something that uh, most people were really taught even before buying, you know, their first mm-hmm. property fits their first house or whatnot. But, uh, yeah. wow. So what would you just, your parents describe, uh, <laughs> is what you do. I, I think most like you don't have engineering background with, with your family. So I'm sure it's pretty interesting. They, they probably don't quite understand what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I try to tell, to talk to them. I've tried to talk to them about what we do and, I guess in their, you know, terms, I think my mom would, would say that I'm, I uh, help people with their, their problems and dealing with having to navigate floodplain issues. and Pretty spot on. Yeah, issues with building in the, in the floodplain and the floodway. And so she, I think she's, she's pretty much, she's very in tune with that aspect of it. Um, she also, you know, we've, we've worked on a couple of pretty high profile projects that involve some low-end restoration areas in the county. So she knows knows about that and she likes to highlight those when she talks to her. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Let's go ahead and talk about that. What, what's a project that you want to, that you, you remember most that uh, kind of highlights this uh, floodplain reclamation or any, any sort of hydraulic modeling kind of project? Yeah, so we just... Um, I, I can, uh, one of the most recent ones is a project that's in the um, East, East Lee County in Southwest Florida. And it's out on a main road, but historically all that's been out there are agricultural operations. So lots of um, citrus groves, sod farms, things like that. It's mainly an agricultural area. And we, we completed a project a couple of years ago on one side of this main road and it was pretty large 1,500-acre project that involved some uh, restoration of historic flowways that used to flow through there prior to the agricultural development. Mm. So it was a way to reconnect a lot of the wetlands that have been isolated and had been adversely affected by the agricultural agricultural operations because their water levels have been drawn down so far. Mm. So we were actually, the project involved creating flowways, and in those flowways we created smaller little basins that would hold water for a certain amount of period. And then as that water stages up, it would flow to the next flowway basin. And it was just a cascading system 
supported the, the new vegetation that was planted in those flowway areas and it also enhanced the existing wetlands. The most recent was the project to the south of that one, which further established the flowways because historically the, the flows used to go from north to south in this area down towards um, the Everglades system. And with all the interruption of construction and agricultural development, a lot of the water was pushed from the north. It was pushed to go west. So it was um, further exasperating flooding conditions within those lands that to the west until it got to the Gulf of Mexico. So this, these, these two projects are helping to reestablish those historic flow patterns from north to south. And also, so it, it benefits the communities to the west of this area so they don't get so much water from the north. Uh, there's a lot of headwaters that come down through the area. So, wow. um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool project, but yeah. it, it involved lots of, lots of modeling, um, you know, hydrologic and hydraulic modeling and, and just many, many iterations to come up with the right design to make sure the water levels reacted appropriately. Wow. And, so, uh, how, how big was that second piece that you were saying that you're just finishing up? It was another, um, 1800 acres. Wow. Yeah. Was there any uh, revisions to the, the map made from that? You said you rerouted a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so this happens to be in an area that um, wasn't part of, you know, the FEMA's study for Lee County. So it's an area that's pretty far from the, the coast and it doesn't have any major, other major waterways around it. So it wasn't part of their study for the floodplain at the time. It may get wrapped in with future updates, but so there was no revision to the actual FEMA flood map for this, for this gotcha. year. So it wasn't mapped previously. It wasn't mapped previously. Yeah. Okay. So you've got, is it over 18 years of experience right yes. now? Yep. So what, what do you think has made you so successful over the years? Uh, what, what certain, is there something that stuck out in your mind that somebody has told you that you, you know, implement every other day? Or mm -hmm. is it so my, what I always like to say to clients is that there's always, there's always a solution. It's just a matter of finding, finding it. And um, I'm not one to give up. So when a project gets tough, I don't, I'm pretty persistent to try to get the best outcome possible. So I think that's worked in, in my favor because uh, it, re it results, typically results in some big successes. And then those successes are, you know, also mean that it's a good uh, client service. And that just turns into um, referrals and people mentioning you to other people or talking about the same thing. And um, I don't have a lot of repeat clients, but I get clients that other <laughs> previous clients have talked to and they call mm -hmm. me they, Hey, I heard you helped this person out with that. And, and um, so we've, we've been able to really create a nice uh, reputation in the area for, for what we do and um, the level of service that we can provide. So I think that has helped me and, and my team be successful. Other, other engineers have, have noted that I've done a good job creating a niche for ourselves. So I think that's, that's probably the key. Gotcha. Yeah. So persistence. And then, you know, eventually kind of finding, finding something that you're focused on is, is mm -hmm. kind of made you successful. Yeah, that you're, you know, you're really good at and 
can be the person to come to when when needed. Yeah, so it's a good place to be. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I want to thank you for all your time and and talking to me this afternoon. I know you've got plenty to do, so I don't want to take too much more of your time. But that's, uh, a, that's good. That's okay. <laughs> I, I want to thank you again, though, for all your time, and, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. You're welcome, Matt, and thanks for having me on the show.